covering the environment is probably the biggest and most popular beat in journalism today. And it's going to get bigger, you know, as the planet warms and oceans rise and life on Earth changes dramatically in the coming decades. It's because the environment is not exclusive to one issue. All right, look, actually, every beat is interconnected. I mean, politics affects all of life. Crime affects all of life. Education has a huge impact on people, mental health, the economy, etc., etc. But the environment is profound. It will have a huge impact on us in every way. Now, I've covered my share of environmental stories as a reporter and a host, but there are reporters who go deep into the forest, metaphorically speaking, sometimes literally, to find those stories. And, well, I found one that I wanted to talk to. She works in Orlando, Florida. Newsrooms are expanding to cover the environment as a standalone beat, and that wasn't always the case. Honestly, I'm trying to remember the first time I heard the phrase climate change. And it wasn't really since Al Gore's An Inconvenient Truth that that kind of became part of the vernacular. In Florida, it's essential that any large newsroom has an environment reporter because this is a state that lives on the edge of the climate crisis. One such reporter is Amy Green at WMFE in Orlando. She once hosted the podcast Drained. It's about the Everglades. She's also the author of a book called Moving Water, The Everglades and Big Sugar. I asked her about how she ended up covering the environment, what it's like reporting on the issue and the politics. And we started by talking about, well, like where I start with everybody. How'd you get into this career? When did you know that you wanted to be a journalist? Did you, is this a lifelong passion or did you fall into it? No, it's a lifelong passion from the time I was in grade school. I've wanted to be a writer. And when I was a, a little kid, when my family, when we, you know, took trips for vacation, I would come home and I would make a little book and write a little story about our trip and everything. And I've always been a reader. And so as I got into middle school, I just imagined that journalism would be a way to, you know, actually make a living as a writer. When did you become an environmental reporter, though? Yeah, so I got into environmental journalism a little later in my career. I spent most of my career in print journalism, and I transitioned over to radio back in 2011 or so. And I started my professional career in, in Nashville, Tennessee, and I worked at the Associated Press for a few years, and then I freelanced for many years. And in Nashville, I specialized in religion and spirituality, which is, you know, a, a very big part of life in Nashville. It's the buckle of the Bible Belt. And I was fascinated by that and enjoyed that. And then I moved back to Florida. I grew up in Florida and moved back to Florida for family reasons. And when I moved back to Florida in 2006, it was just kind of like, man, what happened here? Because the state had experienced this explosive growth in the early 2000s. Well, I grew up in Clearwater in Sarasota. And when I was a kid, my family had a boat and all of my parents' friends had boats. And 
that was how I grew up. And so after I moved back to Florida as an adult, I can remember a boating trip and out near Crystal River and the water was just infested with jellyfish to the point where you really couldn't swim off the back of the boat. And so I just kind of started pitching more and more environmental stories. And then in 2008, I pitched some stories on the Everglades and I just became hooked on the Everglades. I can totally relate to that growing up in Florida, growing up in South Florida, and then going off to college. And and this career, as you know, takes you a lot of places. And then coming back and I, I just, I said, where did all this come from? I mean, it's just roads I grew up on that were two lane. We're now eight lane. And I'm just like, well, this is too much. But you know what? Let me come back to something you said. You were in, in print first and then you came to radio. And I know a lot of people make that jump. And was that an easy, you know, transition? Did you, I mean, obviously you love it. You're really good at it, by the way. So, but was that an easy transition for you? Do you prefer one more than the other? You know, I'm not bilingual and I don't know what that's like, but I imagine this might be a little like that to a small degree. You know, it's two very different ways of writing. And so, you know, even now I've been in public radio for 10 years. And even now when I'm first beginning a story and I'm kind of, you know, writing out my reporting plan, even now I'll do an, an initial outline as a print story and then I'll do the reporting. And then, you know, after I do the reporting, I'll, I'll do another outline as a radio story. And yeah, so it's, it's just, it's two very different styles of writing, but, you know, I'm so grateful that this is where I ended up and journalism is a challenging place to be. And in public radio, I have this opportunity to do like really meaningful journalism um, that challenges me and energizes me. So it all worked out. So what's it like covering a topic that has, I mean, over the years become extremely divisive and political? You know, does that add to it and make it more fun or does that make it harder? I think for me, I have a very analytical mind. And so when I hear various groups of people, you know, kind of like, well, we, you know, this is what we say, and this is what we say, I kind of feel like my job as the journalist is to figure out what actually is true. And so I enjoy going to the scientific reports and reading the reports and, you know, understanding the science behind all of that stuff. I I enjoy that. It seems like in, in the world we live in, um, your audience has chosen you. So our public radio audience has chosen us. They love public radio and they tend to be people who, uh, at least from my experience, but maybe you could sh- you know, share on this is, yeah, they tend to uh, believe in the science. Okay. Uh, I don't know how often you get a listener or someone who's going to write in and say, you know what, I deny all this, I don't care for this, and I'm tired of these stories. I don't know, does that does that ever happen? Yeah, I mean, we've heard a lot about the fake news in, in recent years, and I'm sure you do the same. I think a lot about those people who believe I'm the fake news. And my job, I'm a professional communicator. I mean, my job is to inform and educate. And since 2020, there's kind of a life or death component to to that. You're delivering information that people are using to make really big decisions for themselves and their families and their health. And and um, I, I think a lot about those people who 
who think about the fake news and and how to reach those people. I wondered, uh, you know, because obviously over the last five, six years, be, you you know, mentioning that phrase, fake news, um, not something I'd really ever heard before, not not before, you know, a specific election. And so um, I'm lucky in that I'm in a studio more often than not. If I ever get called out by somebody, it's online, on social media, but I, I'm not out in the field like you are and other reporters are. And I don't know, is that something that you run into? Is that something that's caused any concern for you in the way you do your job? Well, on the environmental beat, I deal with that perhaps to a lesser degree. And I speak to a lot of scientists who are data-driven. And my job is to talk to everyone usually kind of at the center of what everyone is saying, that is where your kernel of truth is. You're listening to The Reporter Studio, and we're talking with environment reporter Amy Green from WMFE. She's also the author of the book called Moving Water, The Everglades and Big Sugar. And we're talking about what it's like to cover the environment beat in a newsroom. Now, I'd love to hear from you. What questions do you have about the way the news media covers the environment and the climate crisis where you live? You can find us at thereporterstudio.com or on YouTube at The Reporter Studio. You can find this podcast on most podcast apps. And by the way, if you do and you like the content, would you please subscribe and rate and review? And if you do, I'll say in a very nice way, thank you. All right, let's get back to our conversation with Amy Green from WMFE in Orlando. You wrote your first book, it's your first book, right? It came out last year, The and it was uh, The Everglades and Big Sugar. And I wondered if you spoke to any politicians or anybody in the sugar industry after the book came out, if anybody's responded and what that's been like. The book is called Moving Water, um, The Everglades and Big Sugar. And so, you know, obviously during the course of writing that book, I visited the Everglades agricultural area many times and talked with as many farmers as I could. And many of them just asked not to be named in the book. So I respected their wishes. George and Mary Barley, just fascinating figures in Florida environmental history. And I, I just was fascinated by their story and, and, um, and just wanted to tell their story. And, um, but they're very controversial figures in Florida environmental history. So a lot of people just didn't want to be named in a book about them. <laughs> oh, I know that also well. The, you know, I mean, so you, you spend a, a big portion of your career in print, then you go to radio and then writing a book. And that's a whole nother uh, uh, ball of wax. I mean, this is like, it's a different approach in telling a story. You have a lot more space and time to, to string it out and and bring in a lot of different characters and, you know, raise questions and then find those conclusions. But what's that challenge like? It was a lot of work and it was very stressful. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So I'm not going to do it. Never mind. All right. Good. You talked me out of it. But it was a great experience. I recommend doing it. I met Mary Barley in 2008. There was big news in Everglades restoration that year. Uh, Former Governor Charlie Crist announced plans 
where the state would buy out U.S. Sugar Corps and put that land toward Everglades restoration. And so I did a story on the Everglades Foundation, which was, you know, kind of behind that deal and met Mary Barley that way. And then a few weeks later did personality profile on Mary for the Christian Science Monitor and just was fascinated by her and fascinated by her story. And I always knew that was a good story. And I always knew it was a book. And, but, you know, as you said, a book is a, is a big undertaking and I had some things going on in my life that made it challenging to dedicate the time to it. My daughter was born and things like that. And so it took me a while to, you know, get an agent and get a contract and do the writing and all of that. And then, of course, my deadline for my manuscript was the end of the year, 2019. And my deadline for edits uh, was March 2020. So my book was going through production at the same time. You know, our newsroom was very stretched by the pandemic news and everything. Well, just as the pandemic is hitting, I mean, right? Isn't that around the time? Was it March 2020? That's I took vacation the first week of March 2020 to finish up my edits. And I can remember working on my book and having my computer on in the background and DeSantis doing a news conference where he's announcing one case in Florida and then a second case in Florida. And so I got my edits done and then I went back to work the second week of March. And that was the last week that we were all in the building together. (laughs) You know, looking back on that book, is that something that you, again, coming back to the different ways that we tell stories, is that something preferable? You know, do you, do you enjoy telling, uh, you know, doing reporting that way, knowing it is a lot more work and takes more time, but is that something that you prefer or, you know, are you thinking, all right, I got that done and I don't, I don't know if I want to do that again. No, I would love to do another book. I love long form journalism and, you know, that story is a great example of one of those very controversial stories where as the author of a book, you have an opportunity to kind of go in and look at the science science and, and figure out what actually is true and put some truth to the kind of he said, he said debate that's taking place in in the public. You know, it's helpful, I think, to think about a book, not as one story, but as a, as almost kind of like a series of stories or a series of anecdotes broken down by chapters. But yeah, I, I enjoyed it. It was a lot of work. It was stressful. Um, I'm taking a break from it now. Yeah, I would, I would love to do it again. Well, give us a synopsis. So this is, come on, let's go promote it right now, right here. So Moving Water is the story of George and Mary Barley. And um, George and Mary Barley are are two very uh, well-known, influential Everglades advocates. In the early 90s, George Barley was a wealthy real estate investor in Central Florida, um, very politically connected, and he loved to fish in Florida Bay. And so um, as Florida Bay was experiencing, you know, just very serious environmental degradation, he just became enraged. And as he learned how the problems in Florida Bay were connected with problems farther up the peninsula in the Everglades, he became enraged. And he also believed that it was a result of government corruption. He thought that sugar growers who are part of a a very large farming community, 
in kind of the heart of the Everglades in a region called the Everglades Agricultural Area. He thought they were not paying their fair share toward Everglades restoration. And so he was pushing a ballot initiative that would have taxed sugar growers to raise money for restoration. And he died very suddenly and very tragically. He was in a plane crash and he died. And at the time of his death, he was, you know, his his political stature was probably close to that of the Secretary of the Interior. And so after his death, Mary Barley kind of picked up his cause and in 96 pushed a ballot initiative that at the time was the most expensive political campaign in Florida history. And today she is she's still very engaged and very influential. You might remember that the Everglades Trust gave a critical endorsement to Governor Ron DeSantis in 2018. Uh, The Everglades Trust is another organization that was started by the Barleys. And so Moving Water is their story. It's the first book to tell their story. And it also tells a story of how Everglades restoration got started kind of in the context of their story. By the way, where did that plane crash take place? In Orlando. In Orlando? Okay, gotcha. In downtown Orlando. Um, no, I'm remembering bits and pieces of it, but I, I recall being in Southwest Florida when um, Charlie Chris was governor and they had made that announcement of, uh, you know, wanting to buy uh, a lot of the sugar land, uh, you know, for Everglades restoration. And, um, and there was fear in some of those little small communities out there that they would disappear. Um, and I grew up in one of those communities. And this is, this is a fact, to me, it's a fascinating story because I'm connected to it in more ways than one. And I think that's one of the interesting parts of like covering Florida is in some way we're all connected to these stories. Thank you so much for listening to The Reporter's Studio, a production of City of Dreams Media Incorporated. We're talking with environment reporter Amy Green from WMFE Public Radio in Orlando. Now you can learn more about her work, including her podcast, Drained, and her book, Moving Water, the Everglades and Big Sugar, on our website, thereporterstudio.com. You can also watch a video of this interview on YouTube at The Reporter Studio. By the way, there are a couple of times in there where her cat decides to join the conversation. We're going to return to this chat shortly, but I wanted to take a moment to remind you that another podcast is coming out in June from the same company, It's called Planet Earth 2072. Further into the future, things are going to become more uncertain. Are here are going to be concentrated on the high ground, and that's going to result in a significant sea level rise. Maybe tackle this issue and address it in a meaningful way. Foreseen events that we can't predict, we can project things, and then that's five, six, seven people, and the change goes on. Is more privileged and that is not dealing with climate effects on a regular Anybody basis. Anybody to be suspicious of people who claim to know what Miami will look like in 10 or 20 years, let alone 50 years. No one can guess what exactly will happen in 50 years, except that South Florida will likely not look much like it does today. The oceans will have risen, flooding will be a bigger challenge, and things are likely to be hotter. Planet Earth 2072, the podcast, we ask the question, what will Miami look like in 50 years? 
what will happen and how will we prepare? We spoke with researchers, politicians, and advocates about their fears for the future. You know, it's gonna be harder to anticipate what is gonna happen from day to day. And the people who are here are gonna be concentrated on the high ground in very dense urban landscapes. And that's gonna result in a significant sea level rise, maybe adding 20% to those numbers I just gave you. We also spoke with members of Gen Z. We can project them, but we really don't know what this climate catastrophe is gonna look like. No matter what, that's not in your control. And I think that, you know, for acknowledging the problem now, we can definitely stop it from becoming much worse. We want to better our society, naturally. I think everyone does. The question of the future, what can we expect? Planet Earth 2072, the podcast, comes out June 2022. That's the new podcast from City of Dreams Media Incorporated. You can learn more at planeteearth2072.com or on Facebook. Let's get back to our conversation with Amy Green, environment reporter from WMFE. I asked her about what it's like being able to be out in some of these interesting places as she does her job. You get to spend a lot of time out there in the Everglades, in the environment. It, it just seems like fun, and I wish I could be, you know, out of the studio more often. But do you get to do that? Do you get to be out in the field a lot more? Yeah, and you should go to the Everglades. You live right there in South Florida. No, you can I go mean, anytime. No, no, no. I it, To visit, yes. I'm just saying as a reporter, I, I envy when, you know, reporters get to be in it, you know, and I'm in a studio. The Everglades, it's it's kind of a mystery, I think, even to a lot of Floridians. You know, I, I write in the book that it, it's not really one of these natural, I'm trying to search for what I'm trying to say. It's it's not one of these natural features like the Grand Canyon that's really demands your attention. The Everglades, it's, it's a much more settled place. It's very flat and it's not an easy environment. It's hot and the terrain is difficult and everything. But it's just, if you have an opportunity to get out there, the water is very cool and refreshing. It's not like weird mud or anything like that. And and it's, it's great to get out there in a kayak or an airboat or even, you know, just do a muck walk. And of course, in 2020, my daughter is eight now. Um, and so she was home from school with me for a lot of 2020. And I was finishing up my book and and I also did a podcast on the Everglades that was made available at the end of 2020. And at the time, my daughter was in kindergarten and first grade. And so she could hear me working on all of this stuff. And so at one point, she said to me, she said, Mommy, I want to see the Everglades. And so I said, OK. And so over New Year's, we drove down to Everglades City, which is just a great place. And we did Big Cypress National Preserve. And we took kayaks out and my mom came too and we took kayaks out and we were out there in these kayaks and my daughter said mommy I want to feel the muck 
And so we helped her get out of the boat. And, and so she was in the water, you know, up to her waist. And I was so proud of her. So that was really great. Yeah. No, no, it's, it, it's the little, you know, the little experience that I've had uh, when I was a reporter before I was a host. I, it's one of the things that I did enjoy about being out in the field is not going to city hall, not going to those places, but getting out into environmental stories, being in the environment, I think is just always been one of those things. I don't need to tell you finishing up here. I wanted to, to ask you moving forward as an environmental reporter, where do you see environmental reporting? Where is it going from here? Where does it need to go? This next generation coming up, what, if you were talking to them, what do they need to know? Climate change. That's, yeah, that's what I'm focusing on now. And lately I've been focusing on clean energy and renewable energy. In Florida, water issues in the Everglades, it's, it's such an integral part of being a Floridian. And so water issues, that'll always be an important story in Florida. I'm starting to turn my attention more and more to like clean energy and renewable energy and and climate change. Because you're in central Florida, you know, what are the discussions like about on that issue with the public, with your, with your audience? What are they asking of you? What are they demanding right now? Probably one of the biggest stories of the year for me is going to be just this horrible manatee die off that we've been experiencing in the Indian River Lagoon. And that's a very complicated situation because the Indian River Lagoon is just suffered widespread water quality problems and seagrass losses that have led to the manatees starvation. And the other kind of theme to a lot of my reporting in Central Florida and across Florida really is this mind-boggling population growth and the strain that is putting on our natural resources here in Central Florida. I have been reporting recently on, you know, skyrocketing housing costs. And of course, that's an issue across Florida. And the population is just going to continue to grow. I did a story last week on um, Split Oak, which you may have heard about. um, And that is a plan to put a toll road through protected land in Central Florida. And a lot of people are worried about that because it's protected land. And so a lot of people feel like, well, if we can put a toll road through protected land, then no place is protected, really. And that'll just continue to be an issue, that population growth. For you, I mean, having grown up in Florida and, you know, as you said, you remember from your childhood some really beautiful memories of how much you used to enjoy the nature. Uh, Being an environmental reporter and seeing the growth, the damage that's being done, climate change being the problem that it is. How does that shape you personally, your view of the future? Are you a pessimist, an optimist? Can you stay neutral on this? Yeah, I mean, you have to be an optimist or else what's the point of anything? But, you know, the thing that I think about is my daughter. We just had the story last week where State Agriculture Commissioner Nikki Freed announced new renewable energy goals for the state. And these goals are a result of a petition filed by Florida Youth associated with an organization called Our Children's Trust. 
and Our Children's Trust is an organization that specializes in climate change litigation on behalf of young people. I, you know, I just was talking with the attorney about the experience these kids have as a part of this litigation, how the attorneys talk with them about climate change and climate anxiety and, and all of those kinds of things. And it's a very different time to be growing up. And I think about that a lot. Yeah. I am optimistic, I think, but the pessimist in me does not like sitting back and <laughs> he is loud and obnoxious. Last question. You've been a journalist for a while now, and the purpose of the podcast is to try to help people understand what we do. And yes, there's a narrative out there. Politicians are always attacking us, but they pushed a narrative and and there is a lot of distrust. But what is it that you think people get wrong about who we are and what we do? And I wondered if maybe there's something we could do to help them. Yeah, well, I think the podcast goes a long way. I think the fake news, what is that? It's a concept. It's a, it's a rhetoric. Um, but you and I, we're people. And um, I don't know about you, but I, you know, I have people in my life who are like, well, you know, that's the fake news, but not you. You're not the fake news. And, and um, I think things like this podcast that personify us and um, I mean, just in popular culture, reporters are, you know, usually portrayed in not very accurate ways. And, and so it's just, it's great to have the opportunity to talk with you about what I do and giving people a chance to get to know us. Yeah, maybe they should make more movies. Granted, our day-to-day life isn't that that exciting, so I don't know what action they would capture. They should just show all the president's men every day on TV. Uh, I, yeah, I always, I always think about that, too. Amy, I appreciate your time. Thank you so much for being in the reporter's studio. It's great talking with you. Thanks so much. Thanks so much for listening to The Reporter Studio. I'm your host, Luis Hernandez. We've been talking with environment reporter Amy Green from WMFE Public Radio in Orlando. You can learn more about her and her work, her podcast, and her book. It's on our website, thereporterstudio.com. Watch the video, by the way, on YouTube at The Reporter Studio. Well, coming up next week on the podcast. But when I started writing about food, like I found an interesting family or something, and I wrote about their restaurant, and I wrote about how they, you know, like the trajectory that led them to open this thing that had then turned their lives into a thing that gave them income, but also passion and meaning. And then you write about this place and people in the community read about it and they go and it changes that that restaurant owner's, that owner's life and the, the staff's life and everything else. And, and then a community feels like they learn something like, oh, I have a new pizza place. I have a new Mexican place. I have a new taco place. Food editor for the Miami Herald, Carlos Frias, and what has to be the tastiest job in the biz. Catch a new episode every Friday. Remember, you can watch these videos on YouTube at The Reporter Studio. And whenever you listen to the podcast, please subscribe, rate, and review. I really appreciate it. Also, share your thoughts and your questions about the news media at the website, thereporterstudio.com. I really would love to hear what you want to ask and what you're thinking about. And again, don't worry. If you're one of those folks who does not like the news media, I still want to talk to you because I want to know what you're thinking. 
Well, this is a production of City of Dreams Media Incorporated. I'm Luis Hernandez. We'll talk again next week.